Thank you so much. Thank you for the beautiful music, for the beautiful testimony. I loved it that Sister Robinson said that she knew God loved her. And boy, that is a perfect starting point, isn't it? To any choice, any action we make. If we know we are loved by God, it can direct our path. And Sister Sance, I'm so grateful that you pray that we would be inspired by the Holy Ghost because that's really all that matters, isn't it? If the Holy Ghost can inspire us, can speak to our spirit, to our heart, to our feelings, to our mind, then we are on the right path. And I'd like to talk to you today about the right path and where it goes and how we find truth. I know that you, just like I, we are in we are bombarded by today's messages on the internet, everywhere we look. Someone has an opinion, there's a new philosophy, a new style of dress, a new way to talk, to sound like you're really trendy. And as we are bombarded by all of this, have you ever asked yourself, well, what's true? <clears throat> Where is truth? Well, the answer is the Savior is truth. In Ether 4.12, he says his own words, I am the light and the life <clears throat> and the truth of the world. So why do we have to look anywhere else? He is the one. In Mosiah 4.9, we are told that he has all wisdom and all power in heaven and on earth. So if we have a being who loves us, who has all truth, all wisdom and all power, where else do we need to go? We need to go to Him. Now you may be sitting there thinking, well, <clears throat> I accept that, but how does that apply to the class that I'm not doing so well in? Or to the dating relationship that's just fallen through? Or to health problems I may have? How does that knowing that the Savior has all wisdom, all power, and all truth help me in those situations? It, he does. It's not that He will instantly fix things for us. That would weaken us. But as we step toward Him, turn our thoughts and our heart toward Him, we will begin to have a clarity. He will begin to let us see solutions to a problem or how to forgive, or how to study better, it will come bit by bit. The main thing is that we have a confidence and a trust in Him. Um, Lloyd Newell, in October, on October the 2nd, 2022, he's the speaker for Music in the Spoken Word, said this, Truth is independent. It does not change. But our confidence in the truth varies according to our connection to God. That is why daily habits are so important. There are lots of key points in that statement. What is our connection to God? Because that is where our confidence in what is true begins. How deeply connected are we? Look here. You've got a slide that shows the ground looking quite strong and firm, a stake, a hammer, and a hand. I want you to see in the symbolism that the ground 
is the gospel doctrine, the truths of eternity. The stake is your faith. How deeply is your faith grounded in the doctrines, in the truth? And the hammer and the hand are our effort. You know, President Nelson said, the Lord loves effort. How much are we driving our faith deeper into gospel sod? Effort brings growth and strength to withstand opposition. Here we see a wind blowing a stake. You've grown your gospel sod. You can see in the slide it's green and vibrant, but there are winds of opposition. Will it blow over your faith, your stake in truth? Remember in 1 Nephi 8.27 when it speaks of the mocking and the scorning from the people in the great and spacious building. Can you heed them not as Elder Bednar has taught in general conference? I remember receiving an answer to prayer about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when I was 22 years old. I had studied with the missionaries for six months, and I will admit I had many questions, many doubts, and many moments of, of disagreeing with the missionaries. I had not prayed honestly. I had had moments of thought that King Benjamin surely must be a wonderful man and a real man. I had, had, I had wept through the plan of salvation, knowing I had heard it before, not with these ears, not on this earth, but I had been taught it somewhere. It was as familiar to me as the nursery rhymes my mother had taught me when I was a child. I had had those touch points of spirit, but I had never prayed honestly. So one night, I knelt down and I said something simple. This has been 52 or 3 years ago now. Something simple as, <clears throat> Heavenly Father, if this is the true church of Jesus Christ, I'll be baptized. I just need to know it's true. And I heard a voice. I can't say it was an audible voice, but I heard it in my mind and in my heart. And the voice said, it is true. A simple response. But I jumped up off my knees and threw my hands in the air and said, it's true. And the next morning, I um, called the mission president and said, I need to be baptized. Well, I went on to work that day. And my desk at work faced another secretary's desk across the room. Her name was Ann. And she said to me, Neil, you know, I've heard you talking about this Mormon church. What do you think about it? And I said, Anne, I'm going to join it. I'm going to be baptized. Her face fell afoot. Her eyes squinted shut, and she swung in her swivel work chair around to the side and slammed a drawer shut and then put her head down and didn't talk for quite a while. And we went on with our work. That was my first taste of opposition. It didn't feel good. But as I st sat there staring stunned at her response, I thought back to why I had made that choice. I remembered that this was the Savior's true church. I knew that because the Spirit had let me know. I remembered studying the Book of Mormon and remembered the feeling that King Benjamin was a real man.
I remembered that the set missionaries had taught the plan of salvation in the simplest, clearest terms that caused me to weep with joy and recognition. When you have opposition, see this, this wind blowing against the stake. When you or someone opposes your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you remember. Remember the Savior, His church. You are a dearly beloved part of it. Remember that last Sunday you reached out your hand and witnessed to God and any watching that you were taking into you the symbols of Jesus Christ, His flesh, His blood, His characteristics. And you were witnessing to God that you would stand firm. Stand firm as that stake in the ground. So when winds of opposition come, let's remember what we know that is true. Amy Wright, Sister Amy Wright in General Conference spoke of the dews of Carmel. Do you remember that? There is a mountain range near Jerusalem called the Evergreen Mountains, she taught us. And even though that is very arid land all around there, this mountain area is green, not because it has copious rain. It is green because of tiny drops of dew that condense on the vegetation there and keep it ever fresh and green, as green as that, the vegetation in that slide. It is those tiny drops of dew that are called daily gospel habits. And as we let those distill upon us, we begin to change and to become firmer and stronger in the gospel. There are two special things that make us extra strong. And you know the answer if I asked you further. What are the two daily gospel habits that would keep you strong in the gospel? I know what you'd say, and you know what I'm going to say. Scriptures, scripture study, and prayer. We are to learn of Christ, listen to his words. We are to take them in. Now, when your president held up his journal, he was going to take notes today. That is exactly what works for scripture study. My little routine, if you want to call it that is, I open the scriptures and then I say a short prayer that goes something like this. Heavenly Father, I've opened the scriptures now and I'm going to start to read and study. Will thou help me understand what I am reading and help me apply it in my life, or I might say, apply it in the talk I'm going to give at Ensign College, or apply it in the sticky relationship I have with so-and-so. What is in those scriptures are treasures that change who we are for the better. And the other thing is, I have a pencil or a pen in my hand. Now I know you probably have a laptop or a cell phone, but for me, as I read, I keep that pencil in my hand. It is intentional. I'm going to write down a word or a reference or a thought that comes to my mind as I read. It's very interactive, this scripture reading. Have you found that often you'll be reading, for me particularly, the Book of Mormon, and I'll be reading, let's say, about Alma the Younger. And all of a sudden, clearly into my mind, will come a sister I need to contact. Write it down. Or a solution to something that's been troubling me. Write it down. I believe when we open the scriptures, it alerts heaven. The angels say, look, she's, she's opening the scriptures. She wants to know something. She's looking for truth. And 
our minds become open. Opening the scriptures is an act of faith and intention. It says, Father in heaven, I'm ready to learn. So scriptures keeps that stake deep in the ground. Then, you, oh, you also might memorize a special scripture that you can just keep tucked in your heart and pull out when the, the ands of the world or the secretary across the room uh, opposes what you know is right. Pull it out and say it to yourself. One of my favorites is Romans 8:28. All things work together for good to them that love God. I was taken aback a little when I joined the church and found in Doctrine and Covenants uh, 90, verse 24, that I am to search diligently, pray always, and be believing, and all things will work together for good. A little more requirement than just loving God. But we can do this. We can search diligently and pray always. And then the other thing, the other part to keeping that stake deeply in the gospel side, your faith, is, of course, prayer. The Bible Dictionary has a wonderful uh, definition of prayer, and I'm going to read it. It's on your screen here. As soon as we learn the true relationship in which we stand toward God, namely, God is our Father and we are His children, then at once prayer becomes natural and instinctive on our part. Many of the so-called difficulties about prayer arise from forgetting this relationship. The object of prayer is not to change the will of God, but to secure for ourselves and for others blessings that God is, here it is, already willing to grant, but that is made conditional on our asking for them. Prayer is a form of work. We need to ask, brothers and sisters. We have, there are blessings we need, direction we need to stay close to the truth. But Heavenly Father is waiting for us to ask. Imagine Him with an enormous basket of delicious fruit that will teach us truth and joy. He has it there. We need to reach up and ask. The blessings will come. President Nelson said, Lord, the Lord likes effort. Prayer is a form of work. It is mental focus. We need to be able to stay focused. I use when I have a really thorny problem or a really something I just cannot work through, I will do kind of what I guess I call a special prayer. I think all prayers are special, really. But I try to follow a pattern that Joseph Smith gave me when he prayed that first prayer. He was intentional in that he prepared a place. He knew where he was going. He had chosen it because it was quiet and no one would interrupt him. You do the same. Where can you go and lock a door so no one can interrupt you or hear what you're saying? Then he knelt down. I find that if I kneel down, if I make my body be reverent, my attitude, my thoughts, even my heart start to soften. Maybe it's, maybe it's reverently the way you dress. Your attitude will be better. But I kneel down, and then I speak out loud. I, I believe in prayers in our mind. We're, we're to always remember the Savior. We can pray as we drive a car in a crowd of people on a road, walking down the hall at church, walking down the hall at school. We can be praying in our mind. But praying out loud for me keeps me on task. Otherwise, I tend to 
pray to Father in Heaven in my mind, but I'd often end up telling him something irrelevant like the price of gas or my haircut or something. Then, then I have to say, I'm sorry, Father in Heaven, I lost my train of thought. But if I'm, out, if I'm speaking out loud, I'm not going to say, by the way, I'm getting my haircut tomorrow. I am going to stay intently, on purpose, speaking to our mighty Father in Heaven with reverence and awe and humility. And then, before I even begin to speak, I like, not like Joseph Smith, because of course he saw the Father and the Son, but I visualize Heavenly Father standing in front of me, a little above me, looking down and smiling at me. I'm going to be speaking to Him, so it helps me to have my focus directly on Him. That helps. And then I do something, actually, the brother of Jared did, and um, let me find this, this uh, reference. It was, it was in Ether um, 3, verse 4, and verse 12, and other verses as well. He testified to the Lord as he was communicating with him. He says, I know, O Lord, that thou hast all power. And then later, I know, O Lord, that thou speakest the truth. What do you know about the Lord personally? What do you know about Father in Heaven in your own heart? Could you testify to them as you kneel there out loud? I do that, and I can tell you that the connection between us becomes close and warm. Often they're tears, because as I tell my Father in Heaven what I know and love about Him, I hear it. I hear my own testimony, and I feel that He hears it too. In fact, I know He does. And that draws me to Him in a trusting, loving relationship, father to child. And after that testimony meeting, as it were, with the Father, I just pour out my feelings, my worries, my thoughts, directions that need to go, and then I listen. Now, most prayers aren't answered immediately. I think some occasionally are. But most take time, and so we stay with it. We remember what we asked for. It matters to us. Elder Richard G. Scott said, speaking of prayer to Heavenly Father, sometimes He answers yes. Sometimes no. Often He withholds an answer, not for lack of concern, but because He loves us perfectly. He wants us to apply truths. In time, He will answer. He will not fail us. Brothers and sisters, every prayer is answered. We just don't get to choose the time necessarily. I'll tell you two quick examples of prayers in my life. One was the two-week answer, and one was the 47-year answer. This summer, David, my husband, and I uh, traveled to the East Coast for the wedding of a relative. None of my relatives are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And before we left, about two weeks before, I knelt down and said, Father in Heaven, if there is a time, wouldst thou give me an opportunity to share some truth, perhaps small, but something that can open hearts to thee? And I need to know when I should say it to Father in Heaven. You know, Doctrine and Covenants 100 can tell you what to say, when to say it, how to say it. 
So as we read scriptures, we get courage that we can speak truth. Well, sure enough, the first night we were there, a group of us, close, about 12 of us, moved away from the main body of the party going on, the wedding party, and we were all just chatting, and one of them, named Lee, said, well, I'll tell you what, when I die, I know that it's just going to be a vanishing sort of thing. Something is cleansed and we're gone. I said, Heavenly Father, is it now? <laughs> should I say something now? And I thought, yes, I should. And I said, Lee, I just want to warn you, I'm going to say something religious. Everybody stopped. Because, you know, I'm the, the what they call the Mormon. And I'm a little odd with the rest of them. Everybody turned in silence, looked at me, and I said, Lee, I have a different belief about death. I believe that, yes, our body dies, but we go right on living, that I will be recognizable as Neil to you. I said, I'm older than you. I will probably die first. And when you come from this earth, I'm going to be waiting by the pearly gates. And I'm going to say, hi, Lee, here I am. And there you are. And we know each other. And he looked at me for a minute. He's kind of a rascal. And he said, well, Neil... Who says, I'm going to even make it to the pearly gates? I might be. <laughs> and everybody laughed. But I said, no, I believe you will make it. And I believe that we will know each other because we go right on living. And then, as a little bonus, Heavenly Father gave this moment. One of the group is a priest in the Episcopal Church. Her name is Beth. And she said, I agree with Neil. I thought, hallelujah, second witness. And, and she said, because my father was in a coma and we were all gathered around his bed, he couldn't speak. And we knew that his death was imminent. And all of a sudden, he opened his eyes and he began to point and nod and wave and smile at nothing. And we began to look around, and then it dawned on us. He was seeing people he recognized and was glad to greet them, even though we couldn't see them. So she said, I believe that we will recognize each other and we will go on living. It was a beautiful moment. And I believe that Lee and perhaps some others who maybe don't have any religious feelings had a moment where they thought, Oh, we go on living. We have a spirit. So brothers and sisters, that was a two-week answer. And I knew it. I felt it. The 47-year answer would take longer than the seven minutes or so I have to speak with you. But I will tell you quickly, I have been praying, and David too, ever since I was baptized, that my parents could, could hear the truth and could hear my testimony. And they very kindly, they are strong Protestants, said, we are happy for you, Neil, but please do not talk anymore about your church. I think I'd been a bit overbearing the first week or two. I know I had been. And they just said, please don't. Don't. And I had a few more times where brick wall came up, so I didn't. But I had the opportunity in um, 2017 to write a little book about my journey, my spiritual journey, and why the church was necessary and how my feelings were and how I applied it. And I prayed about it and knew there was some woman somewhere that needed to hear my testimony. By the time I was in the second chapter, I knew who the woman was. It was my mother. So the book, by a, a miraculous way, was printed and ready before her 93rd birthday. And I flew to Louisiana to give her this gift to finally jump over that gap that had been created for 47 years. And I handed her the book, 
And my mother it was a formidable personality. She was very, very strong and very clear and, and wonderful. And, but I handed her the book and I said, Happy birthday, Mother. She looked at it, looked at the cover. It had my name at the bottom. And she said, Well, this is lovely. I'll read it later. And she put it on a shelf. I was like, Oh. Well, we I left, came back to Utah. We continued to communicate for about six weeks, and I called her one day and got up my courage and said, Mother, have you had a chance to read that little book? Long pause. And then she said, I've read it. I've read it all. It is wonderful. I love you. That was a little bit rare, too. We hung up. I stood, stood there with the cell phone against my heart and just wept. A prayer had been answered. And the mother, mother died two weeks later. Heavenly Father's timing is exquisite. If we will pray in faith for what we know is right, the answer will come. So these two things, the scripture's earnest study and earnest prayer, Bring our faith to a depth in the gospel that only one other thing can bring deeper, and that is being yoked to Christ by covenant. All of you see this yoke, although they aren't used too much in them anymore. You know that, that um, two beasts of burden are put through the hoops of the yoke, and then they pull a heavy load. You stepped into the Savior's yoke when you were baptized. And even more firmly, when you received your temple endowment. President Nelson tells us, your time in the temple will surely change your life. I testify, it does. The Savior says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, why does he say that? He says that because we are not enough, brothers and sisters, all on our own. I mean, Alma tells us we are nothing. That doesn't mean we're not infinitely valuable, but our power is so small to withstand all of the bombardment we have to seek out and live by truth. We are bound by great power when we take upon us the priesthood ordinances of baptism and in the temple. And as we do so, we step into that yoke with the Savior, and he pulls us forward. Our former bishop is a rancher. He, he loved Belgian horses. He had Belgians. He said they were the grittiest, most determined horses, and they can pull huge loads. If they are pastured together, trained together, lived together, their trust deepens, and they can throw themselves against the collar of the yoke and pull mighty weight. Let's look at this video about what it's like to be yoked and think of you being yoked to the Savior. Belgian horses are the strongest pulling horses in the world. They can pull as individuals about 4,000 pounds. So about the size of the car you drive, they can really pull that tremendous animal. When you put these two animals together, if you were to yoke two Belgian horses and have them pull, You'd think they could 4,000, 4,000, it'd be 8,000 pounds. It's not the case. On average, if you put two Belgian horses together, it doesn't, it's not 8,000, it's 16,000. 
you see multiplication happen. But if you were to take two Belgian horses, and let's say you were for a few months to put them in the same stall, let them live together, walk together, run in the fields together, eat together, do horse life together. And then let's say for a few months they do that, and then you were to yoke them together, listen, they would on average pull 32,000 pounds. That's right. The power of relationship allows them to go from 16 to 32, but that's not even the highest. You see the world record of two Belgian horses, two brothers that grew up together their whole life. They pulled in one time a world record of 52,000 pounds. I just love that. Brothers and sisters, you may feel like right now you're pulling 4,000 pounds, be it financial, physical, relationships, mental or emotional worries. It's heavy. But you, yoked to Jesus Christ, can pull infinite amount of weight. Yoking to the Savior brings us peace and confidence. It brings us hope and joy. He is steadfast. He will not fail us. He wants us to yoke ourselves to Him by diligent effort, with love, with hope, with trust. So we must do as those Belgian hearts did. We must stay close. We must get accustomed to Him and be familiar with Him and feel His love and always remember Him. I know that great things are ahead as we yoke ourselves to Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.